good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to Dose Nation. I am your host, Jay Kettle. Thanks for joining us as always. And uh, with me, as always, is founder of DoseNation.com, author of Psychedelic Information Theory, and co-host of the podcast, James Kent. James, how are you today? I'm doing pretty well today, Jake. Thanks. Glad to hear it. I uh, hope you had a uh, restful uh, new year and a uh, good uh, transition into 2014. I can't believe it's 2014 already. Yeah, it's weird to say, but I guess it's true every year. 2014 seems a little bit more into the 21st century than 2013. I mean, I know it's ridiculous to say, even <laughs> though it's just another year, but it's like, yeah, okay, the 21st century is really in first swing. I mean, full swing now. I mean, I was just, uh, I, I stepped into the 21st century this weekend. Uh, we finally broke down and bought a flat screen TV. We've had, we've had an old cathode ray TV since I think uh, 1998 was when we purchased it. And it's been a fine TV and it, it's, you know, it's one of these TVs that it's, it's built to last. It'll work for probably another hundred years. Uh, but it's obsolete technology now. And we, uh, we had to get a new TV cabinet to fit a bigger TV because they only make big TVs now. I guess. <laughs> yeah, they don't. They don't really make. <laughs> you have to buy like a theater size screen now when you go into the store. Yeah, to you buy can't. A you, new TV. Yeah, you, you 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 can't actually buy like a regular size small TV. No, no, no. Everything is. We'll see. But that's but that's but that's indicative of of American culture. Everything is oversized. It's big. You know. Oh yeah. It 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 needs to be shiny. You know. That, we that gotta sort experience everything uh, extreme to the extreme, right? Like, 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 take it to its farthest, most absurd conclusion. Like that is what Americans do. Yeah, monster trucks and rock and roll. Yeah, monster trucks. <laughs> well, hey, hey, man, there's nothing wrong with a rock and roll. Now, monster trucks, those those things are scary. Monster trucks are amazing, amazing feats of mechanical engineering. I mean, the fact that they're they used are. for for like crushing cars for uh, entertainment purposes and like and like uh like showing how fast you can skid through big bogs of mud is is pretty weird but as far as like industrial technology goes monster trucks are pretty badass i mean i don't i've never been to a monster truck show but i've i've seen i've been next to them and heard them like start up and the amount of compression that's going off in those things is like enough to just shake the ground and rattle everything in your body they're they're scary. Yeah, they are. They're That's like tanks. They're tanks like t- for entertainment. Tanks for entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> um, but actually, speaking of tanks, this is not entertainment. But speaking of tanks, um, I did want to talk a little bit of today about, and uh, you and I had discussed this uh, a little earlier uh, about what's going on in Syria right now and the drug that's actually fueling the Syrian civil war. Or that's fueling some of some of the uh, people involved in the Syrian civil war, and <clears throat> this, this this is coming this coming from the gar- article. Yeah, from this the yeah this this is the Guardian article. Um, now the the name that they use for it is Captagon, is the name of the drug. It's which is a, a trade name, I believe. Yes, it is. It is. Yeah, Cap uh, Captagon is sold as like some kind of it's 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 sold as a product, but um, it's 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 space it's basically amphetamine. Uh, it's, well, um, it's Captagon it, is phenethylene. Yeah, it's phenethylene, which is, which is a which is a drug that is actually a um, combination of two different drugs stuck together with a very weak bond, so that when it is taken, the drug breaks down into amphetamine, just simple amphetamine, and um, something called theophylline, 
um, both of which have uh, stimulant effects. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's one of these sort of uh, frank and amphetamines created by the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah, so, and, and they've been using this um, uh, and the anti by both government and anti-government forces, um, and it's 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 allegedly been used by both government and anti-government forces in in the Civil War. Uh, it's 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 very easy and cheap to manufacture. It's a, it's a simple process, and uh, just from what I'm reading here, according to uh, Khabib Amar, who's a local media activist, the anti-government groups uh, would also export the drug in exchange for weapons. So pharmaceutical amphetamines are being exchanged for weapons. Uh, yeah, and uh, it's. That that was from the uh, Telegraph, I believe, is where. So this is the crazy thing about, about amphetamine, uh, in my opinion, is that it is one a drug. Okay, that's the first thing. It's a drug that has a pleasurable side effect, so it's a drug. Two, it's addictive. Three, it's a food substitute. You can use it instead of food to keep from suffering from fatigue. And four, it's an underground currency. So right. it is like money, food, sex, and power all combined into one molecule. Exactly. You know what I mean? And that it's a substitute for all of those things. So if you have a big supply of amphetamine, you are basically using that as a, as a unit of exchange for all of the basic human needs. Well, not only that, but you're using it to fuel your army, too. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and that's one of the things it can be used for is to, is to fuel an army, but see, especially, he, if you, especially if you're low on things like food. So here's the issue, though, right? Mm -hmm. here's, here's, here's one of the big issues. This is, the, this is, this is addictive. Um, so what happens when the Civil War ceases to be, to be uh, a war, right? The generals step down. Things are supposed to go back. To the way, you know, because it's supposed to go, quote unquote, back to normal, right? And then you have all these people who are, who are, who were hyped up and were fighting either whether on the government or the anti government side or on Captagon, and now they have a Captagon addiction. Now what do you do? Now you have a bunch of, a bunch of ex guerrilla soldiers <laughs> who have Captagon addictions running around in a war torn country. Um, you give them MDMA and send them to Goa. Yeah, well, that's that's not. I mean, you know, a Syrian rebel doesn't really have that 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 luxury. Oh, I don't know. I think people in Syria vacation in Goa. I mean, I don't know if rebels do at this, you know, at this stage in their in their civil war. I but, mean, the uh, people. Okay, the people taking Captagon and fighting, you know, with AK-47s and grenades going off. I mean, they're not multimillionaires who who have the. Luxury of uh, taking, you know, long vacations to get off of their Captagon addiction that they got during the war. No, I understand that, and and basically what you have is a is a kind of mercenary culture, right? After any after any civil war, where you do have to, you know, clean up things like like addiction, and um, you know, a lot of addiction is goes hand in hand with post traumatic stress disorder because, in fact, using amphetamine stimulates. Uh, adrenaline and noradrenaline and uh, cortisol and all of these stress drugs that are responsible for post-traumatic stress disorder. 
and infusing these traumatic memories that are very hard to unwind and cause panic attacks and anxiety and paranoia, paranoia and psychosis months, years down the line. Uh, amphetamines amplify that because they're, they're amplifying the terror chemicals, quote unquote, that cause the post-traumatic stress disorder syndrome. Well, then, I mean, it's also reasonable to, reasonable to say that you're going to have a very unstable veteran population after that. Well, I think a the population there is very unstable to begin, to begin with. with. But, right, yeah. but, but I'm saying it, it, and you're seeing it adds that, insult you know, to injury. We're seeing that in Iraq. Right, yes. But, I mean, but, but this adds insult to injury as far as destabilization. Yeah, it's interesting that this is um, – I, I don't know how widespread it is. I mean, The Guardian would have you uh, – I don't know. I think in all war, there is an element of a black market drug, underground trade, fueling the the, the combat, um, whether it's being traded for weapons or whether it's being used as a currency or whether it's being used to keep the soldiers uh, awake and fighting. Uh, I think that's it's always there's always something going on. I mean, many of the wars themselves are have been fought over drugs in the past. Opium, tea, you know, <laughs> coffee, sugar. I mean, there's tons of wars that have been fought specifically for those drugs and over these and over the commodities, yeah, right, and over the control of those commodities. So, yeah, the fact that you've got a pharmaceutical amphetamine. Now, do we know who's making this, 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 uh, phenethylene? Um, probably I would, I, I would, I would guess either the rebel groups themselves or maybe they're getting it illegally. Um, I haven't. It says, you know, I read the Wikipedia article and it says that it is very popular in Arab countries, although I don't understand why, unless the manufacturer is, is an Arab is an Arab manufacturer, but I, I don't know if it's patented. So I think, Oh wait, it's invented by Jacusa AG in 1961. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's, is it, I don't think it's, uh, prescribed in the U S I think it's scheduled in the U S and maybe not available for, for prescription or maybe it is in special cases. I'm not sure why it's most, uh, mostly popular in Arab countries, but uh, it's it's certainly not something that I've seen that I've run across in my my forays through the underground market. Although I've never really been specifically looking for amphetamines, so I don't know how hard it is to find in the U.S. But I'm certain it's probably very similar to Adderall or amphetamine or Dexedrine or uh, anything that you can get stateside. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 probably similar. I wouldn't see why it isn't if it's derived from the same things. If it's but yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest problems you have with uh, using an amphetamine to fuel a civil war is that it's really at that point that people just become extremely savage and brutal. Uh, not that this war hasn't been savage and brutal to begin with, but I think the the tendency for just very random and casual brutality increases when you have a group of people 
on amphetamines um, because you actually go looking for trouble. So the when you're when you're in that state, you can't just say, "Oh, we're going to camp and wait for somebody to ambush us and then and then jump them with our amphetamine fueled rage." No, when you it's the it's the opposite. You know, you take the amphetamines, you go into the amphetamine fueled rage, and then you go looking for a target because From you've got a because you've got a gun in your hand and your whole body is twitching and ready to to run, <laughs> right? Well, yeah, but but uh, th- this is from uh, the UN. Um, what is it? Drug Council. Um, it said uh, now this is the distribution of amphetamine seizures, right, um, in the near and Middle East mm-hmm. as of two thousand nine. Now, if you look at the actual chart, you can find this if you go to uh, UNODC.org slash documents slash Southeast Asia and Pacific. And if you look under there, it's the ATS Global Assessment 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, there, 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 there's a trend where between 2005 and 2006, there's a huge spike in amphetamine seizures, which means pr- probably more usage. Um, and then you see it slowly rise and then spike again from 2008 to 2009. And then if you look at the distribution of the amphetamine seizures in the near and Middle East, what are what are the top three countries? Saudi Arabia, Jordan, and the Syrian Arab, Arab Republic coming in at a at fifteen percent. Um, so it's 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 fairly popular uh, in those three countries. Uh, I, I don't know if that's if it's that particular drug, but amphetamines are popular at least in those three countries. Um, so. And I'm not sure why, um, but there is, uh, yeah, and that's and that use and that number is is for people between the ages of, I believe, 12 and 40 years old. Hmm. So, you know, I'm not sure. Well, I mean, I I can only assume it has something to do with the wars that are going on, um, because previous to the Iraq War. Um, and probably more likely the Afghanistan war, there was, you know, I think the problem was more opiates and kind of synthetic drugs like cot and cathinone derivatives. And now, since like you said, you know, the mid 2000 range after the Iraq war and invasion and after the Afghanistan war invasion, suddenly there's a lot of amphetamine being used. And I'm guessing that's just an increased sense of vigilance. Ew, Shadow. Uh, What's good, dog? What's that? Sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm guessing it's just an increased sense of vigilance. Um, And, um, you know, more more, uh, people wanting amphetamines to uh, stay awake for longer periods of time, uh, to to do things like fuel militias and uh, stay on high alert because... You know, there are things like bombs going off and terrorist organizations and, uh, you know, spies and assassins and drones and who knows what else. Uh, it's, it's a very paranoid culture right now. And, uh, and for good reason, I think. Um, the Middle East is, is a crazy, it's on a crazy teetering edge between the modern world and, um, you know, the archaic world. And it's it just can't seem to uh, you know it can't seem to let go of 
uh, you know, they're very stubborn about who's who controls what and who's right and wrong. There's not a lot of compromise going on in the Middle East. Well, it's very, you know, it, it very easily breaks down into tribal conflict. Well, yeah, and very, very quickly. I think, and, you know, it's even if the tribal lines are very loose and and people don't really pay attention to them in in times of peace and times of war, right? Uh, it just becomes, you know, us against them. Well, and I and, and I think one of the other things that um, that is that needs to be pointed out is that is that we're also trying to impose systems on on people who are tribalistic, who live in a tribal chieftain type society, who may not want the values that we're trying to give them. <laughs> yeah, I, it's it's true. I mean, it's they don't. I mean, some people don't want the values. That's other what I'm saying. Do, other yeah. people do want the values. It's like you know, Iran is going through the same problem right now, uh, and they're trying to you know they're trying to modernize and give their citizens a modern culture. But they're also very strict and very totalitarian. Uh, China is also the same way. Right. They they want to give their they want to give their citizens a modern culture, so they have the benefits of being a modern society, and yet they restrict internet access and flow of information and things like that the way a totalitarian society does. Right, well, but the issue is, is that you cannot have an autocratic free government. That's just not how it works. <laughs> well, yeah, you know what I mean. I mean, <laughs> you can't have an autocratic take all, free government. Take all the power for themselves, of course. Um, you know. And uh, and you know, the Middle East is moving towards democracy, but you know, in some ways, it was more peaceful under autocratic rule. Um, I don't know if I don't know if there's ever going to be a, f a fully free democratic Middle East. I think there's always going to be pockets of, um, you know, uh, extremists and guerrillas fighting against each other. Oh, um, yeah, and uh, and that's sort of what it's um, what it is coming down to. Um, now, there, there was actually one other piece of news I wanted to talk about that isn't related to drugs, but uh, I just thought that I would do as a PSA announcement. Um, and you've actually made me remember this on the air. <laughs> Sorry about that. No problem. Just to take a to take a quick move. Have you heard about the Trans-Pacific Partnership? Um, no. What what is it? So, uh, well, first of well, yeah. The first question is, well, what it is, what what is it, right? And then the second thing is, is what is wrong with it and what does it do? And uh, those were two things that I wanted to address in today's episode because I think that it's important. Um, the trans uh, Now, this is from – if you have not subscribed to them, if you don't know about them, the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with them, James. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They're I, really uh, know, great. I know many of the original founding members of the EFF. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I, and actually, They're a great organization – Electronic Freedom Foundation and uh, civil rights, privacy, liberty, online, and then your electronic transactions is really concepts that have been codified by that group. So, and actually, that, that that's where they this these they were the first two uh, they were the first website to uh, publish these two articles, I believe. Um, so good for them. If you, if you haven't liked their Facebook page and if you haven't visited their website, do that. But um, I'm, going to be, I'm just going to read directly from the article. What is the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement? 
The TPP is a secretive multinational trade agreement that threatens to extend restrictive intellectual property laws across the globe and rewrite international rules on its enforcement. The main problem are twofold. One is the IP chapter. Leaked draft texts of the agreement show that the IP chapter would have extensive negative ramifications for users' freedom of speech, right to privacy, and due process, and hinder people's abilities to innovate. The second big problem is that there's a lack of transparency. The entire process has shut out multi-stakeholder participation and is shrouded in secrecy. The 12 nations currently negotiating the TTP, or TPP, excuse me, are the U.S., Japan, Australia, uh, Peru, Malaysia, Vietnam, New Zealand, Chile, Singapore, Canada, Mexico, uh, Mexico, and Brunei. It contains a chapter on, in, on intellectual property covering copyright, trademarks, uh, patents, and perhaps geographical indications. Since the draft text of the agreement has never been officially released to the public, we know from leaked documents such as the February 2011 um, draft of the USTPP IP rights chapter that the, that, the, that the U.S. negotiators are pushing for the adoption of copyright measures far more restrictive than currently required by international treaties, according to the anti-counterfeiting trade agreement. Mm, okay, well, do you do you know what the genesis of this trade agreement is? See, I don't know what the genesis of the trade agreement is, but well, I... Well, it's... Do you know who the biggest intellectual copyright pirateers in the world are? Well, I'm I'm thinking it's either Russia or China or the United well, States. Well, yeah, it's China. Yeah, I, I, and this these are Russia's a close um, second. These there. are intellectual property powerhouses, except for maybe Brunei, and I don't know how much intellectual property Mexico holds. But these, you know, these are first world countries uh, with very strong financial ties to the United States. Looking to control internet, uh, intellectual property in a way that allows them to sanction countries like China when they build underground economies based on pirating their right. intellectual property. So, what does that mean for the U.S. consumer and the you know privacy and rights of the U.S. citizen? Um, who knows? Well, hold to on. Me, to me, this whole thing sounds like. Hey, it's all done behind closed doors, too, by the way. Yeah, but well, yeah, I can understand why. Well, continue. So the next article that I wanted to get to, and sorry that I'm blowing through this, but I wanted to 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 get this out, and then I and then we can argue about the different points. But <laughs> so according to the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which again, as you know, James, and as I know, I think I believe is a credible institution. Sure. Um, they they released a second article. Um, called What is Wrong with the Trans-Pacific Partnership? And they actually released this in 2011, or excuse me, 2012, uh, in August. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little, uh, I don't know, ticked that I'm, that I'm just getting to it now. But um, so and they created an infographic, which you can go see at their website um, if you look up that article. So according to, to, to the infographic, the TPP agreement is, powerful, is a powerful trade agreement that is being secretly negotiated between these countries. So, the United States is pushing for SOPA and PIPA, or excuse me, SOPA and ACTA, like policies, onto the rest of the world, forcing them to sacrifice free speech and privacy in exchange for access to commodity markets like tobacco and textiles. Hmm. 
So there are two main issues. One, the leaked IP chapter shows how deep-pocketed Hollywood and and, and uh, po- pricey lobbyists... And IP is intellectual property. Yeah, intellectual property. Not, not internet protocol. Sorry about that. <laughs> IP is intellectual property. Right. Um, and pricey lobbyists are pushing for IP res- uh, restrictions that will choke free speech, innovation, pri- uh, privacy, and digital rights. The second is that the public is locked out of the negotiations. The meetings are all behind closed doors. So um, the next part is that the U.S. copyright law is deeply flawed, but we've got a few checks and balances uh, that make it better. And there are three of them that this article points out. The first is fair use to protect uh, free speech. For example, a parody, satire, and commentary. Fair use is also essential to search engines, right? Allowing thumbnails and excerpts, allowing people to find, you know, information online, etc. Right. Mm-hmm. The second is statutory exemptions, like letting teachers use copyrighted materials in face-to-face classrooms, reproductions for libraries and archives, and so on. The third is is through the U.S. court system. Judges have held that certain temporary copies can be made without permission, upholding crucial func- uh, upholding a crucial function for digital devices. But with TPP. The United States is trying to export the worst parts of its intellectual property law without bringing any of the above protections. So, it's, so I don't understand. They're making it more restrictive outside of the United States? Right. So, um, yes. Um, now, if T, now, 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 if this passes, it will even, uh, it will be even harder to fix the existing problems in U.S. copyright law. For example, right now, folks who break the, uh, you know, again, I'm reading off of the uh, article, folks who break the uh, break digital locks on software can be criminalized for using circumventive tools to access lockdown content, for e- even for legal use. We're working to fix some of the problems this law creates, for example, working to keep it legal to jailbreak your phone. But we have a long way to go, like adding protections for blind people who use special technology to access content. TPP will include similar anti-circumvention provisions to make it more difficult to fix U.S. law. The hmm. U.S. Chamber of Commerce and other negotiating interests are pushing for a fast-track legislative approval um, that will that will tie the hands of Congress from debating or changing any of the any of the provisions after it's been drafted behind closed doors. And mind you, that there has been zero congressional involvement in this agreement. Zero. TPP TPP will undermine innovations around the world, kicking the ladder out from underdeveloping countries. That is true. Now, what what are the consequences for developing countries? Nations will have to pay high fees and royalties and costs for enforcing these overreaching, restrictive copyright laws. This will be a harder hit for developing countries that are that already lack enough resources uh, for domestic needs. You see what I'm saying? I, so I get it now. Their money is so, following is is funneling to three places: Hollywood, pharmaceutical in industry, nutshell. and lobbyists. Here it is in a nutshell: Developing countries need to create their own internal enforcement agencies, like the FBI, or something like that to actually enforce international copyright laws or under this TPP, they will legally be able to, they meaning the United States and the countries involved in this, this, this trade agreement, will be able to legally sanction those countries in the form of export tariffs or whatever 
on things like textiles and tobacco that are produced by um, developing countries. Right. So basically, this is this is a mandate for the world to create copyright police, a copyright policing force in every country, or suffer some trade sanctions. Yeah, and it's and it's being done in such a way that um, that a it's secretive. B it's not going to allow Congress to be able to amend anything. Well, here's what it does: is it sets up some way. I mean, here here's why it's secret: is because what this means is you have an international agency which is which now its purview is doing things like monitoring international internet network traffic to see if copyrighted information is being traded illegally online. And it's an international internet monitoring agency, otherwise a spy agency that has the authority to look at every country's internet traffic under the purview, under the guise of seeking out pirated copyrighted material. IP, intellectual property. If they happen to uncover other secrets in emails, et cetera, et cetera, along the way, that's, that's you know, secondary. But initially, what they want to do is set up this entire world internet monitoring program. That's not the NSA. It's something other than the NSA because the NSA probably already does that. They're just not supposed to. <laughs> if you have something like the TPP, suddenly you have a legitimate multinational agency whose sole purpose is to monitor all internet traffic around the world. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, nice one, guys. Yeah, good. Good on <laughs> Hey, let's give everybody a round of applause. And we'll get Hollywood on board because we're protecting their uh, intellectual property. Where's my vomit bucket? <laughs> I can see why the EFF has problems with this. Yeah, no, and they should, and and not only that, but it but but it has huge impacts on 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 developing countries or and peripheral or peripheral nations. It's going to be uh, harder for them to develop because of these laws. Um, and uh, it 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 pushes. It pushes the second and third world even further down into the second and third world. Well, too. It basically, it introduces Big Brother to those developing to, countries, right? Exactly, which is something that that they 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 don't need and that they really can't afford. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, and it puts more people under the American neo-imperial boot. That's the other thing it does. Yeah. And it's interesting to see how China is reacting to this. I don't know if, if China has any official reaction to this policy, but I'm I'm sure they're not too psyched about it. Yeah, I'm not sure um, what China. I mean, and they're doing. Said. They have their own groups monitoring international network traffic too. I mean, so does Russia. So does any large country that has enough internet processing power to do it. Yeah, um, that's that's just the name of the game right now. We are in the war we are in the age of the info wars and um you know people like um Bradley Manning and um oh what's his name the guy in Russia who leaked all the NSA Snowden. stuff Snowden Edward Snowden Snowden right yeah Edward Snowden 
um, you know, these guys are really the the new snipers or or whatever, um, the new cannonballs. What was that? War. What was that episode of South Park where they made a joke of uh, Edward Snowden's uh, release of the documents? Like, I don't know if you watch South Park. I do, but I don't remember that particular episode. Oh, it was it was it was great. If if any of you are this is this is again this is a, we're not being paid by South Park to say <laughs> you're, this. You're fond of the tangents, but but uh, you, if you haven't seen that episode, please go see it. Oh, it's it's so great. It's so funny. Uh, somehow he 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 hooks in. They they create a social networking device where where all of their thoughts are broadcasted over the internet, and only him and Alec Baldwin have it. <laughs> I mean, you know, Cartman and Alec Baldwin are the only two people in the world that have it. It's so ridiculous, and he breaks into the NSA. It's it's it, it, it was really funny, but um, there was one more um, thing I wanted to point out to our viewers um, before we move on to uh, another great topic that, that that you wanted to bring up. But um, there's there are actually two 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 new websites that I found out about. Um, I actually found out about them through Reddit. The first one is called um, Canna Vacation. I don't know if you've heard of that yet, uh, James. I can I can only imagine what it's what it's about. Yeah, you can go to their website. It's CannaVacation.com, and basically, uh, this is their this is right on the front page of the website. Canna Vacation is the nation's first marijuana vacation and entertainment information provider. Our free Colorado, Washington, uh, Colorado and Washington cannabis tourism guides can help you find comfortable lodging, great food and drink, activities and attractions, plus the best cannabis marijuana in the nation legally, without fear of arrest or persecution. Our goal is to help you plan a one-of-a-kind experience that you will treasure for years to come. Colorado and Washington legalized recreation of marijuana in 2013 for adults 21 and older. Legal, legal marijuana tourism has finally become a reality uh, in the USA. Your marijuana dreams have finally come true. Welcome is this to your, Canna Vacation. Is this your live read, live read for Canna Vacation? No, we, should get a little, we should get a little kickback from these guys. No, I know. Yeah, Canna Vacation. Where's your donation? Oh, oh, it rhymed. Oh, great. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> there uh, was a great article in The Stranger, which is the uh, Seattle Alternative Weekly here uh, by Dominic Holden, an old friend of mine who is one of their, uh, their news editor there. Uh, that there are places in Seattle now where you can just call them up and place an order by phone and they will deliver within 30 or 45 minutes anywhere within the city up to an ounce of weed. And it is not perfectly legal yet because retail sales of marijuana are not supposed to be effective yet. But according to the police, they are not investigating and they are not prosecuting um, these delivery services. So for the time being, they are all, you know, you can just come to Seattle and, you know, call call a number and get weed legally delivered to you. You don't need to have a uh, medical marijuana card. You just need to be over 21. Yeah. And, uh, and, that's, and that's it. And uh, it's market prices. I mean, it's it's what? I mean, I know you could get weed delivered to you in New York City as early as, you know, the 90s, but uh, this is different. This is different because it's legal. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it's not a – but I just thought that was interesting that, uh, there, that there actually is a place that offers vacations for people who want to just go smoke pot. 
Yeah, um, it's a it's a fun thing. And the other thing I wanted to point out was it, it's another TripAdvisor type uh, website. It's called Aya Advisor. Oh my goodness! And I, ayahuasca tourism advisor. Yeah, yeah. This is an ayahuasca tour, uh, tourism. Oh, advisor. I think you know. If we dig deep enough, we could probably figure it. We probably know who those people, who the people behind that are. Do we? I mean, I can't. Well, I, I don't. I don't know the site in particular, but the ayahuasca tourism community is not huge. I mean, when you get into it, there's you know only a few places people go, like Peru and. Um, Ecuador and Brazil. But what they've done is they're listing a legitimate, you know, it's a place where you could go and uh, review these different places, find out which places are legitimate, find out what places aren't. Uh, they give you safety tips, retreat categories, the ayahuasca diet, that kind of thing. Um, it's just a resource for people who are, you know, interested in, in, in going on ayahuasca tourism. Um I mean, like I said, I haven't seen much of it yet. It seems like a relatively new website, but they have a couple of places up, and you can, you know, review them and things like that and read about them. So just uh, just a place for, uh, you know, again, safety and education, hmm. which, which, I'm always, which I'm always for. So, but let's move on to what you wanted to talk about, because that's well, more interesting wanted, than what was, I have to there say. There was, uh, you know, we got some some comments back from our uh, our last episode about uh, it was DMT in the pineal gland and um, you know these new new age spiritualities built around psychedelics or built around the DMT mythology and, and stuff like that and you went on a little rant about how someone sitting yeah. on the couch I got kind of pissed smoking off for a DMT <laughs> for 15 minutes doesn't know more about spirituality than you know people who have been studying mysticism and this mystic tradition for thousands of years and um, uh, Buzz, I mean, there was some good comments on the on the web page. Buzz made this point though that I really uh, uh, that I I wanted to discuss because it's both um, a very it's a very um, you know perceptual comment, and it's it's also a little bit not it jumps the point a little bit. But he says. <laughs> He says, I immediately thought of a counterexample to your rant. Compare, for example, the person who has had the 15-minute couch experience with DMT and a mainstream psychiatrist who has not ever tried DMT but who has been practicing for 40 years. And this struck me as, 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 as particularly profound because I have been sitting in meetings with psychiatrists, both as a patient and both as somebody who was working at a clinic talking, you know, with people who, you know, people I work with who are psychiatrists, trained psychiatrists, who fundamentally did not understand many things about the brain and, and in particular anything about psychedelics because they had never had a psychedelic experience and they didn't really know how psychedelics worked. So somebody who has had the 15-minute DMT experience may know something more about the weird and freaky capacities of the mind than a psychiatrist who has never had the experience could. Yes, but but that now I that doesn't mean they know more about psychiatry. No, that just mean or that doesn't or that doesn't mean they know more about mysticism. They just know one piece of it that has escaped the you know escape the experiential realm of the other but my argument is is that it hasn't escaped the experiential realm of the other because if you read some of some of the literature of the mystics of these ancient mystics 
it sounds kind of similar to <laughs> I mean well, sure, granted, sure, sure. Gra- but, 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 but granted in their language done, and in their terms, you know. What he's what Buzz has done is he has jumped the topic from spirituality to psychiatry. And in the spiritual realm, there is this mystic tradition where vision seeking and alternate states of mind are are part and parcel of the experience. Yes. In the psychiatry, those are treated as pathology. Right. You want to erase those. Your 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 patient comes in saying, "I hear voices and see elves." You want to give them electroshock <laughs> therapy or something, right? Until they're back to normal. So it's 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 both very profound point and one that actually flips the flips the coin on what the professions are doing: the mystic versus the psychiatrist. And in both cases, um, you know, uh, the mystic is probably more familiar with what's going on in the DMT state than the psychiatrist who only has an academic education would be. Because like I said, the psychiatrist would look at the DMT state and say, well, I know what that is. That's psychosis. You know, you're having a psychotic breakdown where the mystic would look at that and say, oh, I know what that is. You're having, um, you know, a vision. You're having a Gnostic breakthrough. You're, um, you know, touching the angelic realm and the infinite mystery. Where, you know, the psychiatrist would say, here's some lorazepam. Yeah, right. <laughs> Come Here, down, please. Here's some Thorazine. Go home. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Go let's home and shuffle. Little, let's take a little nap and keep you away from sharp objects. Yeah, You know, right. and it's, it's all set in the setting, I think. Uh, but I did I did like that comment because Buzz, uh, you know, I, 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 have, I have been in conversations with psychiatrists treating patients. Uh, or, um, you know, talking about my own uh, particular internal pharmacology. And I could see in their eyes and the way that they would change the discussion that they didn't really understand the, you know, they weren't, you know, psychologists aren't psychiatrists and psychiatrists aren't neuroscientists and neuroscientists aren't behavioral scientists and and behavioral scientists aren't psychologists. They're all sort of working around the same idea of what's going on in the brain. But none of them really has the whole picture, especially if they haven't really tried psychedelics or even understand that the brain can do that or what it can do when it's in psychosis or mysticals, you know, mystical transcendence. Right. But I mean, I would say that someone like St. Anthony or someone like Evagrius Ponticus or Origen would understand the idea. Well, yeah, yeah. and of course. And this is, you know... This is uh, there's there's two threads uh, of this in the psychedelic community. Um, one, which was basically the, the realm of Terence McKenna, says mystics are full of crap. They don't know what they're talking about because they've never smoked this stuff, and they're basically playing in the kiddie pool, right? And you got to go take eight grams of mushrooms to go into the deep end. You know, and I'm not going to go into my Terrence impression because I can't get out of it sometimes once I start into it. <laughs> the other side is, you know, the sort of, um, you know, Huxley, Tim Leary side, which says all spirituality is, you know, seeking the center point of this psychedelic experience. You know, all spirituality is really seeking the same thing, which is this this sort of 
enlightened transcendence that is the center point, the peak of that psychedelic experience where all the boundaries break down. And then, you you know, that's why Leary and Ram Das and Ralph Metzner went back to the Tibetan Book of the Dead because they were saying, oh, these are the right archetypes. These guys know what's going on. Right. But here's the thing. And this is the, one of the most telling uh, little tidbits of psychedelic lore to me is that when Ram Das went to India to study with the masters, he went to the, you know, the guru. I can't remember <laughs> which guru it is now. It escapes my head, but one of the transcendental meditation masters in, in India um, and said, I have this LSD stuff that we have discovered in America uh, that we use for, you know, transcendence. Would you like to try it and see if it, you know, is the same as what you do in your deep meditations to find transcendence? And he said, sure. And so the guru took it and was silent for many hours. And, uh, Ram Dass said, or I don't know, he took it, he took it and Ram Dass wasn't there. I'm not exactly sure what the story was, but the, but the, but the gist of it is the, uh, the guru said, Ah, uh, yes, this substance is very interesting. I know, you know, I'm very familiar with this with this feeling. By the way, can I get some more? <laughs> which which leads me to believe that even and uh, you know, there's another story where Tim Leary wanted to get married on peyote or on um, you know, he wanted to have a Native American ceremony with a Native American Navajo shaman or something like this, okay. a sun warrior, uh marry him in the desert. And uh, they couldn't actually get mescaline, so they gave everybody LSD. And the you know the Navajo shaman, the the Native American shaman, who was probably used to doing you know uh, sweat lodges with peyote, uh, said you know this this white man medicine is too powerful. I can't perform the ceremony. <laughs> Right. He basically got huge, too huge a dose. It was like just knocked, knocked loopy. Well, you know, and, but, but, but and, I, but I think so, there's an argument so in that. There is, a, there is, a, there is to me, I think validity in both arguments. Some mystics, some descriptions of mystical states, they sound very much like, aha, this guy, even though he hasn't taken psychedelics, has had something like a psychedelic trip. And then there's this other side of me that says, well, yes, maybe up to a certain point, but that there is this really high dose realm that is so crazy beyond compare. There's just no, there's just no other way to make it happen unless okay. you are completely crazy. But what I would say is that, is that look, is that when you're in that kind of ultra psychedelic state, are you really receiving anything beneficial at that point, or are you just hallucinating your face off? Well, this is a this is one of my biggest questions for people who are very into psychedelic transcendence and psychedelic spirituality. I mean, you're just hallucinating your face off. Psychedelics can make you hallucinate things that aren't there, which is true. They can make you hallucinate things that aren't there. They can also make you see things that are there more clearly. I mean, this is the that's the weird thing about psychedelics is they can actually magnify things and make you see things that you didn't see before. Um, you know, uh, flaws and textures or, you know, things that you had never seen before suddenly stand out and you go, oh my God, I've never seen that before because your senses right. have never really been that awake. And then there are other things that you see that just aren't there. You know, you start to see textures wiggle and, and, and move like worms and snakes and you go, this, they can't really be moving. That's even though I'm seeing it and I can't 
you know, blink my eyes and rub my eyes away and make it stop, I clearly know that the, that the paint on the wall is not dripping. <laughs> right? I know rationally that it's not, that I'm seeing something that's not there. So if you can hallucinate things that aren't there, is the, sp- the feeling of tr- spiritual transcendence and boundary dissolution that you have genuine or are you just hallucinating that that's what's going on? Are you just hallucinating transcendence, a facsimile of transcendence, just like you would be hallucinating a facsimile of dripping paint? You're not actually hallucinating. You're not actually seeing dripping paint. It's a facsimile. It's a... So when you come to transcendence, it's this tricky thing of, well, who's to say it's genuine or not? Because transcendence is a feeling, not a, um, you know, something that you can hold and measure. Uh, and so whose, whose spirituality, whose mysticism is more valid than, than the others? You know, you can, you can, well, oh, we can quibble about that all day. Yeah. Are we going to actually put, you know, electrodes and scanners up to, to, uh, different monks meditating in isolation to figure out who is the most serene and whose meditation well, look, go, go, is, is the most correct? I mean, it's go it, look it's, up Father Lazarus <laughs> L. Anthony. That's all you need to do to under like like to really get into Christian monasticism. Just go, it's there's a, there are like two seasons worth of uh, ten minute episodes with him called um, I think it's called Monk's Life or something like that uh, with Father Lazarus L. Anthony. He's a Coptic Orthodox monk who lives um, in the middle of the desert. Right. Yeah, he's yeah. he's a weird old hermit, and he's no, he's hero. not a weird old hermit. <laughs> if if I was taken out, you know, if I was somebody who didn't understand religion <laughs> and and you know mysticism, and just sort of looked at Father Anthony like as a child might, like what is that crazy old man doing out of the desert? He's like oh, he's like Ben Kenobi. He's like crazy old Ben Kenobi to Luke Skywalker. Who's this old old fool living out in the desert? All by himself. Yeah, when but then they reality, find out. When in reality, he's actually a Jedi Master. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, you know, I mean, if you want to use those terms, then you know, maybe, uh, maybe Father Lazarus well, is a very, Jedi I Master. I think it's accurate. I think the metaphor is accurate. I think, no, it is. You know, yeah. In many ways, the Hermit on the Hill is a little bit of a Jedi Master because they've been able to. First of all, they've been able to sublimate a human desire for social interaction, whether through choice or through their you know, their disgust for, you know, society or whatever it is. Um, and two, they've been able to turn that into a, pers- uh, a pursuit of wisdom, which it gives them a perspective that the people who live in the rat race don't see. Right. Or, and they can't see because they're in it all the time. So, yeah, uh, in some ways he is a weird old hermit. In other ways, I have uh, immense respect for him because, uh, you know, he's just got a wisdom that you can't get from the day-to-day existence. Oh, no. Oh, absolutely not. No. I mean, just looking at that guy, you can tell that there's something different, you know, and not not different in a bad way, different in like he's been touched by something, you know what I mean? <laughs> he's, well, and that's why he's living in a cave is because he's, he's somebody touched him. No, he's... I don't mean like he's <laughs> like, 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 like he was literally touched by somebody. Right, right. But yeah, I'll always take it there. No, I know you will. Give, you give me the lead. <laughs> no, but I mean that he's been touched by something in the sense that something has been given to him, you know? 
So here's the other thing about religion is that, you know, when we were talking about um, New Age spirituality versus religion and which is, you know, which is the more valid point path. And I think we both agree that if you're going to take a mystical path, instead of setting off on your own, I'm going to do it myself course. It sometimes is better to have a framework of elders there that can sort of lead you into a path that has a history and tradition and that when you come out the other side there is guidance as to what you're supposed to do with the rest of your life um and um you know the do-it-yourself hodgepodge method doesn't really do that religion you know like like christianity catholicism uh buddhism many religions will sort of lead, have avenues for leading you down that mystical tradition but the problem most people have with religion is that they are too full of these weird ideologies and mythologies. And I completely understand that because one of the other news articles that I wanted to discuss is this thing about how two thirds of the population, I mean, a third of the population still doesn't believe in the theory of evolution. And that's just the United States. I'm sure in developing countries and other countries uh, where they don't have higher education, they don't have access to things like the theory of evolution. Everybody's a creationist. You go to rural Africa, everybody is a creationist, you know, um, because they don't have access to um, the, the intellectual understanding to know what the theory of evolution is and what DNA is and what natural selection is. So it doesn't surprise me that in developing countries, people don't, un people don't believe in evolution. But it really frustrates me that in places in the develop in the modern world, the modern world, the information world, we still have this huge segment of the population that just rejects the theory of evolution. <laughs> oh yeah, and it's and it's actually quite quite a large number of people. It's it's almost surprising. Well, I think it's like it's like only sixty seven percent of Democrats, according to this study that was just recently done, and something like forty three percent of Republicans. So there's, you know, there's a party split here. There's an ideological split. There's a religious split. And I'm sure, I mean, I'm positive that all of the anti-evolution stuff comes out of the ev evangelical community. I mean, it's the same community that's, 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 um, you know, the anti-abortion, strong gun rights, and we hate evolution. Uh, because it says we're descended from monkeys or something like that. I'm not exactly sure why. I'm not a monkey's uncle. I'm not sure why why they hate the theory of evolution, but they're very anti-evolution because you know snooty Charles Darwin with his big unkempt beard is not going to tell me about you know there's no God. <laughs> right? Yeah, but 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 so but just because that, that mentality that mentality. You, uh, just you know, keeps people from accepting scientific evidence. I mean, uh, to the point where I think they live in a delusional world. Like they might as well just be saying the Earth is flat if they're gonna if they're gonna go that route. Um, and there's all these sort of uh, these weird weird arguments coming out of the religious right. Um, why I have found through online searching on this topic. I often get pulled into this this topic about whether or not consciousness is physical or whether there's a there's a spirit to it. 
And, um, you know, my all, everything that I understand about the brain, I, I know consciousness is, is a physical process. It's a, it's a mechanical process. Perception is mechanical. There may be a, an immortal spirit trapped in the body, but it is not the domain of consciousness, you know, and, and the, I think all of, you know, the scientific, I mean, not the scientific, all of the metaphysical literature says that, you know, when your soul leaves your body, it doesn't really take your memories with you. It just, you know, it's like reincarnated in another form. And those memories are basically just, just gone. So um, I don't know why people want to argue that consciousness is non-physical, but it, it is coming from this, this religious right that doesn't want to believe that their brain is responsible for their feelings, that somehow God is speaking through them on this, on this soul channel. And uh, I just, you know, it's impossible to argue science with these people because they believe there is a scientific conspiracy to, to kill God or whatever. And so all science is therefore bad. And when you, when you get people believing that all science is bad, they start believing things like global warming doesn't exist. It's also a scientific conspiracy. So it becomes a tool of the propaganda machine to exploit this scientific ignorance in this huge 30% plus segment of the population. That really disgusts me. <laughs> Especially when you have, um, you know, really ignorant evangelical people on the right who get involved in what we can put in our textbooks and what we can teach in our schools. And, uh, yeah, I mean, when it comes down to the debate of, I mean, teaching, create, you know, create literal creationism in school, it's like, look, okay, fine. Why don't we, why don't we have a class? Okay. We're, we're going to call it world religions and we're going to talk about, Buddhist mythology. Oh, oh, oh you can never do that in the public school system. No, right? I know, I know. Separation, separation of church and state. Yeah, but look, um, if you're going to push, it doesn't seem to apply to creationism. Exactly. <laughs> but um, you know, and you know, creationism is, uh, you know, I like to say it's 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 what people had before there was science. You know, they couldn't really look around and say how old the the Earth was or where the universe came from because they had no tool for measuring or gauging that sort of thing. So it just became, Oh, we're going to, you know, invent a creation myth. You know, first there was nothing. And then the creator made something. And now we are here living that something. And it's a very nice story. And it's a very anthropomorphic story, but the farther we go and the more that we learn about the universe, you know, we make telescopes and microscopes and we look in and we look out and we realize, Oh, um, well, things don't work like that it does you know uh, the the world is way way older than we thought things don't just pop into existence out of nothing they happen very slowly over a long period of time and people go oh well we don't like that we don't like that story we like the story about the creator and the popping into existence and making us special um so so there's this there's this <laughs> There's this conflict about which story is the one that people want to live. Um, and, you know, living in 
living in this 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 world that that um you know is billions of years old and came into came into being very slowly over long periods of you know fiery uh, incubation doesn't really make sense to people you can't comprehend those long time scales and it doesn't it doesn't make them special because we're just a piece of dust and this huge thing that's so vast a piece of dust doesn't even matter doesn't matter the earth is smashed to bits because there's probably been a million earths already that have happened in galaxies far away long long ago um the odds are just the odds are just stacked against us that we're not special i mean we're special in that we are the dominant species of this planet but that doesn't jive with you know creationist mythology yeah, but that's but so the but but, but you know but what that's I'm fact. Saying, but, but what I yeah what I want to what I wanted to say is that you know I, I even though I get disgusted I have to constantly remind myself that many people do not have the intellectual tools to grasp the largeness that comes with accepting the theory of evolution because really once you get to the theory of evolution that that, that you get to DNA. You get to molecular biology and you get to all of these really weird questions about what is life and what is energy and what is biology and what makes organic matter different than inorganic matter. And you really have to follow this chain through physics and cosmology all the way down into quantum theory. And then you go, oh, I get it now. <laughs> yeah, it's like, ah. <laughs> It's like, it, and, and that's like years and years and years of schooling to make what what is not obvious to the eye um, that things just sort of are here and they were here like this always. Um, the, the, to 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 change that intuition so that you can get that abstract intellectual concept of the universe is this this ancient thing that that we're just a, like a tiny fleeting part of. Um, and, um, you know, it, I don't really want to come down on anyone's religion per se or what they believe about the theory of evolution, but you can't just toss scientific evidence out. Let me put it to you this way. You, you, because you don't understand it or because you don't like it. The and, um, that's just, I mean, that's just the way I live my life. The people – the the people who are making that argument are the same people who are debating, or excuse me, who are who are ordaining five year olds to preach the word of God. Okay. Well, why is a five year old not qualified? These to preach the these God? are the, the, these the, these are the same people who are setting up mega churches with like tens of thousands of people and like you know with their hand out for donations. So this is the thing when religion and the systemic uh, force feeding of ignorance becomes a business and a political strategy. That's what's disgusting. People can believe whatever they want, but when you start taking advantage of people's ignorance to to make a like a healthy business off of fleecing them, literally like sheep, like you're sharing the sheep in your flock to line your fat pockets. That's just horrible. Yeah. No, no, you're right. It's just, it's just, it, it turned my stomach. And then you like make these people go march at abortion clinics to call other people sinners. Ugh, yeah. 
Just, you know, just crazy to me. believe it or not, the uh, Catholic Church, uh, and I and I and I know this because I I, I do attend Catholic liturgies uh, regularly. You know, when they pass around the collection basket, they're really not putting that much money in the collection basket. I mean, the Catholic Church, the majority of what they're doing now is done off of, you know, uh, donations to their charitable organizations. Uh, well, the Catholic Church has a huge economic empire that's involved in international banking and oh, yeah. know, money, money yeah. currency exchange and stuff like that. When you're around for 2,000 years, you got to find some way yeah, to survive. I mean, they are, they are an international – I mean, they are an international – multinational – corporation as well as their own city state and, and a religious so yeah so and you know catholic church is just um you know like i said even though there's a lot of um what, wickedness uh there's a lot of bad cel- history celebratory there. masturbatory ego stroking inside that power structure um, there's, you know, that goes on inside of every, every power structure. I, you know, I have immense respect for the Catholic church and that they've managed to, since the fall of Rome, hold world power to such an extent. Well, not only that, but also be, be for <laughs> huge, I mean, huge since the fall of Rome, they have been holding the world together. Really. I mean, they've been holding the civilized world together, at least in the Western Hemisphere. And I hate to say it, but if the Western Hemisphere ever collapsed again, I think it would be the Catholic Church. They, that would, would, be, they, would, they would still be there. It would, they, would, they, they would be the glue that would cement Europe that's again. What I hate about, that's what I hate about all of these, like, um, you know, these post-apocalyptic alien invasion. Um, oh, all of the energy in the world is gone. The Catholic Church would still be there to clean up the mess. Yes, because, it, because they don't care if they have electricity. They're like, hey, look, we, <laughs> we had we – had candles and illuminated manuscripts for hundreds of years. Yeah, who cares if the internet is down? Like, look, we have we we, we have an archive <laughs> system. Like, we have we have you know we have the letter that uh, King Henry VIII sent us uh, asking for a dispensation of his marriage uh, from Catherine of Aragon. Like, come on, man. Right, right. You so, know, yeah they um they need to they need to up, update their um their rules regarding celibacy for their their priests and a couple of other things. But you know. Well, no, they move. They move really slow. Let There's me, a slow-moving institution. Because, 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 because maybe, because, because maybe, uh, you know, maybe there's some, some, some truth to the idea that things that that true things change slowly. Anyway, um, but what was I going to say about about the Vatican? I was going to say something else. Um, Oh yeah, the the I I mean my I, I've 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 become more of the opinion that um that they should do with with that they should do what some of the Eastern churches have done, which is that their parish priests, you know, the people who say mass and all that kind of stuff at the local parishes, should you know be allowed to be married and so on and so forth. But that the people who enter the monastic tradition are those who remain unmarried. Hmm. Like the people yeah, who Yeah, I mean those are these are all internal political disputes that I don't really have any say in one way or the other, but um they you know, they do have some PR problems that I think they're changing. And uh you know, who knows what the Catholic Church is gonna be like in another hundred years. But we no can't say for sure that they will still be around. We no, you can't say for sure, but you can say with some with some certainty. I'm pretty certain that as long as humans exist on this planet and even in space, that the Catholic Church will endure. I think the Catholic Church will be the first uh, will be the first church to evangelize the aliens. Well, absolutely they will. Absolutely. They'll be like, they "Damn will. it, we were here first. Get out of the way." Aliens come down. There's going to be like the president, 
and you know all the world leaders and then like the pope Pope there to you know bless them in the name of jesus christ and you know have jesus christ absolve the alien race for their sins yeah hey you know maybe that's what needs to happen making an intergalactic brotherhood um yeah i love there's this whole thing about the catholics in space the uh, the catholics have been funding some of the most um long ongoing extensive research into deep space exploration because i think they more than any other world institution have a vested interest in knowing what's going on out there yeah and actually i i mean i think that's a facet i, I mean i mean the vatican observatory is one of the greatest institutions in the world you know one one, one of the greatest uh you know, institutions for, for space research in the world. Um, yeah. So, you know, you got to take the good with the bad. Nobody likes, everybody likes to point at the bad part about organized religion, but they always forget the good parts. Um, so, you know, reform takes long, a long, long time in institutions that are 2000 years old. And in the span of our lifetime, there's going to be stuff that, that seems really archaic and weird in the Catholic church that was there for a reason a few hundred years ago, but now it doesn't make sense. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I got to forgive the Catholics because they're just, you know, they're just people trying to live by rules. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I but mean, yeah, I mean, they're, they're but just, no, this I will say everybody trying to live by an, an order and a rule that makes the liturgy sense where everybody the, is, everybody is, um, you know, the, Got a place in the society. The liturgies, the practices, in my opinion, are all valid ways to seek that mystic spirituality and to seek, seek spirituality in general. And um, and I've made the arguments before. I know that you and I have discussed it at great length, James. Um, well, yeah, there's there's always this mystic tradition, and then the re- the religious part of it is really the social control, the power part of it. And then the mystic tradition is really about trying to figure out what to do with that power. The same thing goes for Judaism. The same thing goes for Islam. The right, same thing goes right. for you, you er- need to look yeah. inward. You need to look at you look at something bigger beyond ourselves to understand how power can be, um, you know, judiciously uh, meted out to the to the public um, without things like you know ego and. Uh, you know, becoming power hungry and mad, which, which you know, the Catholic Church has a history of doing. So, um, but there have know, also they been... were very they were very bloody and the very um, but there were know, also they, great they were popes conquerors too. and they were you know torturers and they've done all sorts of horrible things. Uh, they you know they killed the Cathars and the Gnostics and all the you know we we love the Gnostics now, but the Catholic Church you know basically was just like. Phew, burn them well look you know i mean there were there were there were no 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 wait hold on there were there were there were there were some good uh there were some good popes like saint gregory the great and julius ii leo the 10th wasn't sure no i i know that there were very very many uh clement the 12th beneficent popes but there was a period of time in um, European history, where the Catholic Church was the most bloody, ruthless. Oh, I agree. First, but... merciless organization for the, somebody who preaches mercy. No, no, no. I agree. Most merciless organization in the land. Uh, so uh, you know, and they, also they, they they live with their own hypocrisies, I guess. And also, for for those who who are unaware, before the 11th century schism, there really was only one church, um, and then in the 11th century, there was a schism between East and West. And that's where you get the break off. So if anybody is interested in doing research on that, um, there, there, there's a lot out there. There's one great book I could recommend called Photius and the Carolingians. 
Um, oh yeah, that is a good book. Have you read that? Um, I've you know I've 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 seen it mentioned a couple times. Yeah, I think you I think you I think you sent me something about it. Yeah, it's on. it's a really good book. Uh, and there's a talk on YouTube by Tom uh, by Father Hopko, I think his name is about uh, 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 you know about it, and he references the book a lot. But it's hard to find, and it's really expensive. <laughs> so if you can find a copy, uh, let me borrow it when you're done, because I've had a hard you time. Will, you will notice that. In the period of time, the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages, where the Catholic Church was its most merciless and its most power-hungry, this was the period of time where they were most actively repressing the mystic elements within their monastic. And when did this happen? This happened after the fall of the Byzantine Empire. Generally, mm-hmm. so so the abuse of power can only be uh, can only be run can only be run unchecked if that mystical thread that does the meditation and realizes that abuse of power is immoral is also repressed. Right, because you need to have these, you know, like the Dalai Lama is you know is like the lone voice that stands against Chinese totalitarianism because he speaks for the Tibetan people, but he also speaks for a lot of people inside of China. Oh yeah. Who, who, you know, even though they're not Buddhist, they go, well, yeah, authoritarianism and, uh, you know, repression of people's freedom is immoral. We need somebody like that in the world. And it, it is a spiritual person. It is a mystic person that is going to stand up for those values. It's not the person that's, you know, in control of the money in the army. No, you're right. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, you're absolutely right. So yeah, that's why you need the mystics. That's why you need the father Lazarus because they're the ones that keep, keep, uh, keep their, their foot on that moral path, you know, and, and they don't and waver. S- right. And can smell when something is, is wrong. It's is a foul. Yeah, and I mean, and the other thing is that there are a lot of people who have who have literally b- become martyrs for the cause of morality. Oh yeah, absolutely, and that's where the whole concept of martyrdom comes from. Which, uh, which, 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 to me, there there are people who are willing to put their life on the line for what they believe to be true, and especially if it's an altruistic truth, is just really you know uh, fascinating to me. All right, heady topics, man. I think I think I we've uh, we've gone over our hour of. I think so. I think we have two. Oh man, of wafting off into the ether. Yeah, <laughs> wafting off into the ether. Uh, all right. Well, any final comments today, James? Uh, no. Just uh, looking forward to 2014. Like I said last show, uh, trying to get up to speed with all of these projects. I want to I want to get going, but uh, we'll talk about that on a later show. Yeah, and uh, if you want to uh, find us on Facebook, you can do so at facebook.com forward slash Dose Nation. If you want to find us on Twitter, it's twitter.com forward slash Dose Nation. Uh, we have a SoundCloud as well. You can go to soundcloud.com forward slash Dose Nation. In addition, we also have a YouTube channel, which is slash Dose Nation Video. And uh, please, if you can, buy your book through uh, – we have a little – Amazon click-through area. Um, if you go to the right of the website, you'll see James' book, which is Psychedelic Information Theory. You can buy that there. And if you click through, also buy stuff on Amazon through that uh, venue because it, it, it gives us an affiliate credit and it really helps us out and we do appreciate it. And um, James, you know about the donations? Yeah, we got uh, another donation this week. I wanted to uh, thank our uh, listener 
who gave a monthly subscription donation, which is very nice. It's thoughtful when people uh, go click through the donation and they make it a subscription. Yes. So uh, just a little bit every month that keeps us coming back to the microphone because, uh, you know, otherwise we'll just sleep in you yeah. know, and watch TV or something. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, exactly. You know, I could have. <laughs> You know, I could have watched something different today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I go watch my big flat screen TV now. Oh uh, no! You know, you, do you want to know what's funny? Is that I don't, I don't, I, I don't own a television. Well, yeah, I have kids though, so oh, I mean, okay. Yeah. And uh, my wife watches a lot of football, so. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, yeah, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't seem go like the Seahawks. biggest. Go Seahawks! Yeah, that's the other thing. I so I got It's uh, my official duty to say go Seahawks. Why are you? Are you I, I, I live in I live in Seattle. In I Seahawks never took you for one of a, uh, for a, for a football fan. I you know I'm not really. I mean <laughs> I, I I I will sit down and watch football and I enjoy watching close games, but uh, I don't really I don't like root or feel bad when my team wins. You don't go uh, play fantasy football. Loses. Nah, I just can't get them. You don't wake them. up and check your lineup. No, you know. <laughs> No, it's not me out there playing and getting my my head concussed every time. I'm just trying to get like two yards down the grass. Uh uh-uh. Boxers and football players, man. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. Well, thanks for joining. All right. Yeah. Don't get your head concussed, people. <laughs> yeah. Please, it's please, not please good don't. for your long term uh, mental health. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, th- <laughs> oh, you screwed me up. Now I can't even. Do- I-, I can't even do the outro. Don't edit this out. Just say have a good week. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. I'm your host, Jake Kettle, and I'll see you all next week. Have a good week. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.